We've been studying John's gospel. He wrote it so that people might believe. These believe, and they're going to tell others about the Lord Jesus. And that kind of thing happens all the time. I challenged you some time ago, if you uh, have had a wonderful witnessing opportunity, privilege, God's given you the privilege speaking to someone about the Lord Jesus, would you, would you tell me about it so that I can give you a chance to share it with the rest and we could rejoice with you? And uh, our first lady took me up on it. It's Barb Turesk. Barb, could I invite you to come forward at this time? This is wonderful Barb, and she's been a member of this church for a long while, and we're happy that she is. And Barb uh, uh, wrote, me, wrote me, and then we spoke on the phone about it. Just a marvelous witnessing encounter. And Barb, let's go up here. Do you mind? Yeah. You do mind? Let's do it anyway. <laughs> I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> um, so Barb, come stand over here, because I want to read something uh, in just a second. But could you please uh, tell us what happened and where some time ago? Uh, and you hold that. I'll hold it. Okay. In 1999, I had occasion to go to Braunschweig, Germany. There was a family there that I was going to visit, and um, in the interim, between planning the trip and going, I was listening to uh, Christian radio, and this man from the woodlands was speaking that he was going to Braunschweig, Germany, and I'm going, what? And he was going to be a missionary there, so I thought, this is my mission. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to contact him before he goes and tell him that I will be there and give me his address. And when I get there, if I give him some money, he will buy a German a Bible for the people I'm visiting. Now, that was my mission trip. Didn't happen. Uh, she got the Bible, and I did my part, but it, it, there's no salvation there. So... Um, one day, my hostess was taking me to visit this church on a tour. I don't know if it was a viable church or if it was just a, a tour of an old church. And there was a young man there uh, playing the organ, and he's just going. And, of course, I'm talking because I do that sometimes. And he, he jumps off his, his, uh, his bench, and he comes over, and he says, Are you from America? I said, Yes. And he said... I'm learning English, and I just, I just, I want to talk to you. I said, well, okay, let's talk. And then we made a, a date just to visit another time, and of course, I'm telling him about me and about, I'm a Baptist, and I, I go to a Baptist church, a big church, and we believe in Jesus and as a Savior and this, that, and the other thing. And he was listening to me, and then I gave him directions to go to see the missionary because he was going to do Bible you know, lessons and everything for the German people. So anyway, I went home, and uh, we, we texted back and forth, and he'd call me sometimes, and one day he called me from New York, and he wanted to know, did I live anywhere near there? I said, no, no, I live in Texas. And so he was just kind of living the life, and um, we texted, uh, no, I, don't, I say texted, we emailed, I'm sorry, we emailed you know, way back then when we emailed. And um, so uh, then it kind of just fell off a little bit. But about five years ago, Brother John was talking about witnessing. Are you doing it? Are you blah, 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 blah. Well, not blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that. Okay, so on the way home. <laughs> 
On the way home, I was asking myself that question, do I? I'm, you know, I was really concerned. So I got home, and I opened my computer, and the email comes up, and it's Morris. And he told me that uh, he was um, going to, uh, the, to Berlin, to the um, Baptist, you know, seminary there. And that's point, he said, you were one of the first people or you were the first person who ever told me about Jesus. I am weeping and weeping and weeping. My granddaughter's looking at me and she says, is this bad news? I said, no. And I called Brother John on the phone. It was a Sunday and I was so excited. I thought he might be excited about that. Let, let us show you a, a photo of this man. Uh, it'll appear. This is the man Barb is speaking of, and that gal was his fiance. He's now married to her. He's married to her. And so, um, according to this last, okay, so then last week, after uh, I told Stuart that I would do what I'm doing, um, I had given him the letter, uh, the, the last letter that I had gotten from him and everything, and I thought, I, I, and I, so I was looking him up, and I did see this video, and then I talked to Stuart, and I said, I can't find it again. I'm no giant with the, the computer. So he Googled it and got it right away, so that's why you're going to see it. So then this past week, I, um, I'm sitting there I'm doing the same thing, trying to find him again, and I'm, I'm sure it was God said, Barbara, why don't you look on your contacts? It might be there, and it was number one. I just hadn't used it in years. So, so I text, I, I, uh, I emailed, you know, Morris, is this still your email address? And he probably said, yes, 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 yes. And so I, I um, emailed him, and how is he, and blah, 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 blah. Well, that was another one of those. And, <laughs> and uh, then he texted me back, and he said he's graduating from the seminary, and he got married, and they're having a baby, and He's got a church coming up that's a, 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 an old town that's a thousand years old, and that's where he's going to give his first official deal. Am I going to be there? It's going to be October. <laughs> I, oh, my. So anyway, just because this guy, as I'm going on a tour, and he heard my voice from America, and he came over to me, and I talked to him about Jesus, he's going to be preaching the word to so many people. Fantastic. Um, I, I want to read to you a, a note that this fellow uh, uh, sent to Barb in 2011. Barbara, this is Moritz Allersmeyer from Germany. I think you still know me. I was living in Braunschweig. Now I'm in Berlin since 2006 to study at the Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm going to be a pastor in two years. I'm born again with Christ now. You were one of the first people who spoke to me about Jesus with all your heart. Take a look at this video. See what this German man is doing now. By God's grace. Was morgen ist. Morgen kann alles verloren sein, was wir uns mühsam aufgebaut haben. Auch ein Leben lang. Beruflich. Aber auch das ganze Leben kann morgen anders aussehen. Und nun gibt es aber für all diese Ungewissheit in unserem Leben eine Sache, die feststeht. Und das ist das Haus des Vaters im Himmel. 
Das hat seit Jahrhunderten, seit Jahrtausenden Bestand. Und jetzt könnte man meinen, ja, Jesus ist dort zu Hause. Aber was denn mit mir? Was denn mit uns? Jesus versichert seinen Jüngern, wenn es nicht so wäre, also wenn so, die Wohnung... So, uh, I know a little German, so was, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Thank you, Barb. God bless you. Let me take your hand. Be careful. Uh, folks, uh, that man was preaching the gospel. Uh, he heard the gospel through people like Barb. And look what he's doing now. He wrote this note also in 2011. Uh, he said, I said yes to Jesus on March 30th, 2005, and was baptized in the month of August the same year and became a member of a local Baptist church. The history of my call is a longer story. Let it be said, with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, I have to do it because of the joy from the gospel I received. Folks, what a privilege to have heard and believe in the gospel message. And now what a great privilege to carry it to people. Be alert. Ask God to give you eyes to see. The harvest is plentiful, but the witnessing workers sadly are few. God bless you, Barb. Look at, look at, because of the deposit you made in that man's life, look at the numbers of people he's affecting with the gospel of Jesus Christ in Germany. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's a great blessing. And I want to challenge you, as God opens up doors of opportunity to you, please let me know about it. I'd like to give you a chance to share it with the rest of us. It helps us to know how to share our faith. It helps us to be alert to opportunities to do so. John wrote 21 chapters, the good news, the gospel, according to John, and he states his purpose that people like this man, Moritz Alsmeier, might believe. In fact, he says this in John chapter 1, verse 9. He says this of the Lord Jesus. He refers to him, Jesus, as the true light. This is what he said. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. The implication of what John said there in John chapter 1, verse 9, if there's the true light, the implication is there are false lights. There are plenty of such things in our world today, but if one is ever to be truly enlightened, it must be by Jesus the true light. There are partial lights, and there are false lights, and there are imperfect and flawed lights But John says, no, look no further. Jesus is the true light. Furthermore, he says in verse 10, John does, he, Jesus, was in the world. And the world was made through him. And, now this is haunting, and the world did not know him. It's not that the world didn't know him because they hadn't been given an opportunity, the people of the world, to know him. The implication here is the world chose. It was willful ignorance and turning away from the opportunity for a personal relationship 
with this Jesus. And the irony of it all, the irrational and unreasonableness of it all is, according to the text, this Jesus made the world. The world, as we know it, couldn't go on for one second without his sustenance. And yet the world has the audacity to reject the agent of creation. He was easy to find. He came into the world which he created. He made himself accessible, and yet the world did not know the true light, which explains the mess we're in today. We're in darkness. We're darkened in our understanding because of the rejection of the true light. You would think we would run to Jesus, and yet we don't. We run away from him. You would think we would embrace him, and yet we don't. We reject him. And all of this tells us something about the sin-sick, hard-hearted nature of our hearts. Well, there's even more to the rejection of the Redeemer than this. Not only did he come into the world which he made and was not known, he also came to his own people and was not accepted. This is what it says rather painfully in verse 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus is God, the God-man. He became enfleshed, and his flesh was Jewish flesh. This is a reference to that peculiar people group which the Lord Jesus condescendingly chose to identify with. When the text says he came to his own, he being Jewish, this means he came to Jewish people. Not only did he come into the world at large and was rejected, he came specifically to his own kinsmen and was rejected by them as well. Do you know what rejection feels like? Have you tasted it? Uh, you should not wonder whether the Lord Jesus can relate. He suffered rejection of the cruelest kind. He was not rejected by a general audience only. He was rejected by that specific people group which he chose to identify with. And do you know what these verses show? They show the sinfulness of the human heart. If we were to end here, we would be left with uh, uh, despair and a fatalistic view of reality. Thank God, this is not the end of the story. It goes on. Look at this, verse 12. But, now we read about the harsh reality of rejection of Christ, but now we're about to read something that's contrary to rejection. This is about acceptance. Look, verse 12. But... As many as received him, to them he gave the right. Your translation might say power or authority. That's what is in view there. He gave the authority or the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So in spite of all who reject him, those who receive his gift of salvation, those who believe he is who he said he is the Savior, to those people he has given the right to become children of God. My mother is one of uh, the peculiar members of this people group, Jewish people. Uh, we're not 
finishing the story with verse 11, there are some who have received him. Verse 12, my mother was one. Uh, she passed away recently, and I don't have words to thank this family for all of the uh, uh, condolences, uh, the cards, the calls, and prayers. Can't thank you enough. I've been on the receiving end, and I don't have words to express gratitude uh, for it all. My mother made her passing easy for one such as me. As our pastor says, nobody's lost if you know where they are. I did not lose my mother. I know exactly where she is. She's in the embrace of her Messiah, her Savior, because he granted her the ability to do just what it says in verse 12, to receive him, to accept his gift of salvation, to believe every promise he made to her about eternal life and the forgiveness of sin. Folks, uh, Christians are to live, and they do a different way, but we also pass in a different way. I wish you could have been there, but the room wasn't large enough for all of us to see my mother's passing. I had the privilege of being there. Folks, one peaceful final breath, and boom, in an instant, she was ushered into the presence of the Lord. No fear of the mystery of death. <laughs> there is no mystery. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Boom, there's no mystery. Not one bit of fear about what happens next. No distress, no groaning, no shrieking, just one final exhalation, and there she is in the presence of Almighty God. Folks, I have to tell you, this text is overwhelming when you think of the rejection of Jesus Christ by uh, people in the world, the very world which he created. But what's even more dramatically overwhelming than that, even more than human rejection of the Lord Jesus, is the good news of his willingness to grant the right to become children of God to those who accept him. And how does this happen? How does, how does one's status suddenly change? How does one move from darkness to light, from animosity to adoption? How does our whole status change with Almighty God? Well, John's going to tell us. But before he does, he rules out some of the ways we may think we get redeemed. Here it is, verse 13. Who were born not of blood. Do you know that word blood is actually in the plural in the original text? So it would read not of bloods. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient days, it was thought that babies came about through the uh, uh, interaction of the bloods of, uh, of the two parents. Somehow, that was their understanding of how a baby is birthed through the exchange of of, of bloods. So here, the apostle John is essentially uh, saying that the new birth, the one, the born again experience where our status with Almighty God changes, it doesn't happen the way physical birth takes place. It is not a function of natural birth. So in answer to the question, how do you get saved? John says, not by birth. <laughs> that doesn't do it. The biological privilege no matter what environment, household, pedigree you have, that doesn't get it done. Furthermore, uh, he says, nor of the will of the flesh. 
In other words, salvation is simply not a matter of self-effort. You can make all the resolutions you want, all the promises, recommitments uh, to the Lord, and all the rest you want. You can practice all the moral and ethical behavior you can possibly muster, but none of it, none of it, none of it uh, can warrant and obtain for us salvation. No, no, salvation, being born again, it's, it's, it's not of blood, nor is it of the will of the flesh. Furthermore, it's not of the will of man. People who love you can desperately want you to inherit salvation, be redeemed, and be forgiven. They can pray for you, and they can share with you and all the rest, but they can't get you saved. It has to be personal faith expressed in a personal Savior in order to be personally saved. We have a wonderful couple in the church here, and their names are Randy and Randy, spelled differently, Jensen. Uh, Randy Jensen is probably here tonight. He serves uh, behind the scenes. There's a lot of things that go on. And Randy, Randy, are you here? Oh, there he is right there. What are you doing here? You're supposed to be back here. Uh, that's Randy right there, uh, just a wonderful person. Well, uh, just uh, recently, Randy's father passed away. And I was speaking with Randy today. We were sharing about the passage of our parents and rejoicing uh, over where they are. And neither one of us, though we miss our parents, would have them come back. But Randy made this statement. He said, uh, I am a Christian because my dad was a Christian. He did not mean by that. Because his dad was a Christian, Randy was automatically a Christian. doesn't work that way. He meant because my dad was a Christian. Because he prayed for me, because he shared with me about Christ, because he lived a life that was consistent with his profession of faith. Because of all that, said Randy, I chose the Jesus my father honored and lived by. You see? So salvation, John says, no, no, no. it's not of blood, it's not of the will of the flesh, it's not of the will of man. So you, you, cry, you find yourself crying, well, well, John, you spend enough time telling me what it isn't. What is it? And here he's, he says it in three words. It is of God. There it is. Salvation is of God. In other words, it is always sheer miracle. If you are a Christian, if you are born anew, you are a miracle. What happened to you is a miracle. It defies natural processes, the human condition, all self-effort, all family ties and pedigree, everything. Your salvation is explainable in two words, three words, or however you want to count it. It is of God. It's by divine intervention that you and I got ushered into the kingdom of Almighty. And that's a good thing. Listen, if salvation was of the flesh or of the blood or of the will of man, if it had anything to do with the human condition or human volition or human initiative or human effort, it could fail and we could lose it. But since it is entirely of God, since salvation is of God, don't you see it can never, never, never fail. Now, uh, I'm going to talk just for a minute about something some of you may have absolutely no interest in. But please allow me to do this because a few here do. I don't know if you know this, but in the uh, Christian community, uh, we have in-house uh, sometimes differences of opinion of a theological kind. And one that is getting a lot of attention 
particularly in our day, is this um, discussion, sometimes hostile, uh, about um, the mystery of salvation. And, and so some would say salvation is, is, is up to you. You hear the gospel and you, uh, based on your free will, respond to it. Others would say, no, it's not quite like that. Salvation is up to God. It is God who chose you. You did not choose God. So perhaps you're familiar with these terms. If you're of the camp that says, I chose God, that's called Arminianism. Now, you don't have to know this, but it's named after a fellow named Jacobus Arminius. Now, if you're of the persuasion that, no, 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 you are not able to choose God. God chose you. That, uh, that is reflected in the teachings of John Calvin. So this is the discussion we're having today in our seminaries, in our churches, and, and all the As I say, sometimes it's not a friendly discussion. Sometimes it, it sadly divides us. So, so there's Arminianism and Calvinism. That's the issue where we're discussing uh, today. So which is it? Let's just settle the matter here tonight. Which is it? So I want to tell you this. If all we had was verse 12, we would all be Arminian, Arminianists or whatever. <laughs> if all we had is verse 12. See what it says? But to all who received him, he gave. If that's all you have, everyone holds to the Arminian position, which means you, on some occasion, on some day, heard the gospel, and you chose, you were able to do it, you chose to accept Christ. Well, you had is verse 12. That's the Arminian position. But if all you had is verse 13, well, no, 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 you would be a Calvinist. <laughs> you see, because verse 13 explained to us what salvation is not, and it tells us what it is. It says, it is of God. It's not of you. You didn't choose. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. You're dead in your transgressions. God quickened things in you and enabled you to believe. He chose, he elected you. If all you have is verse 12, then we vote for Arminianism. If all you have is verse 13, we vote for Calvinism. But wouldn't that be easy? Except for this. We have verses 12 and 13. You see what I mean? And not only do we have verses 12 and 13, there's nothing that separates them. They are juxtaposed. You have the free will position in verse 12. You have the divine sovereignty position in verse 13. So let's look to John to resolve the lack of harmony between the two. How is John going to harmonize these two uh, conflicting, apparently conflicting points of view? Do you notice he makes no attempt to do so? You know why? Because I think if he was here, John would say, you Arminians have some of the truth. And he would say to you Calvinists, you Calvinists have some of the truth. And John would say, stop being adversaries and forcing each other into one school of thought or the other. Why don't you just fall at the throne of grace on knees and say to the Savior, how unsearchable and incomprehensible are your ways. Why don't you just say, I don't understand fully the mystery of salvation. I don't understand, but I accept it. Could I suggest something to you? And I refuse to be labeled one or the other. 
It's too simplistic. I want the third category. There are elements of truth in both schools of thought. And the fact that I can't harmonize them doesn't rule out the fact that both bring good truths to the table. I'm perfectly fine with that. John gave us verses 12 and 13 right next to each other, I think, to shame us. You know what he did? He chose not to, to choose one as over the other. And today, the fight and the argument, even in Southern Baptist circles, is that people are choosing one school of thought or the other. I think that's really foolish to do that. Why don't we just humbly say, I can't figure it out. You know what I think is a more worthy enterprise than trying to fight over this and choose what camp you're in with regard to salvation? I think a better thing to do is to be fully appreciative of the free salvation obtained by the grace of God through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a more important enterprise, to worship the Savior who alone saved us and to proclaim the message of salvation to those who still yet do not know him. Can you see what a distracting enterprise it's gotten to be to choose verse 12 or verse 13 when they are both here in the body of inspired scripture? Okay, so we'll move past this just for, just for a, a second. And as I draw near to a close, um, let me mention to you what I've mentioned in prior weeks. I, uh, I memorized a little line to give me an avenue in discussion with people who I want to share the gospel with, and it's this. I say to people, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized God was willing to forgive all of my sins through my faith in the crucifixion of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, in my place on the cross. My opening line, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I, don't, I, I started out asking questions. I, can I tell you about the greatest thing? But I don't want to give them the option of saying no. I just say, let me tell you. And remember I asked you, would you pray for me that God would give me at least one opportunity each week to do that? Uh, well, he has. And so my most recent was in my neighborhood. I went outside I was looking at the grass, to tell you the truth. And here comes this young guy. He's selling stuff from door to door. Man, I didn't want to talk to him, to tell you the truth. I got things to do. I just want to see the lawn. Well, it comes over to me, and he's selling a product. And he was really, really good at it. And so I had no choice. I listened respectfully. And when he came up for air, I said to him, thank you so much for sharing with me. Now, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It is when I realized God was willing to forgive all my sins based on my faith in the crucifixion of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross in my place for my sin. And a conversation ensued. He was mem a member of a certain faith group, uh, the teachings of which will never get him into heaven. I didn't do so good in the conversation to tell you the truth, but, uh, uh, but God is able to take even a flawed person with some awkward phraseology uh, to use it in a person's heart. I can't tell you how exhilarated I was. I thought to myself, this guy's doing the right thing. He's trying to earn a living. He's selling a product. But my product 
is so much more valuable. And it's free. <laughs> His came with a price tag. <laughs> and it's just pertaining to stuff here. But Jesus paid the price for this most inexpressible gift. So I, I, I remember I told you we would rehearse this. So, so I'll say this one more time. Then I'd just like you to turn to your neighbor and, 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 and just say this. I want you to practice. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Would you do that? Let me tell you. Okay, now you keep going before they leave. You, you say to them, it's when I realized. Go ahead, say that. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive me. Because of the crucifixion of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, in my place, for all my sins. Boom! How hard is that? You see what I mean? So I want to challenge you here. Will you pray that God will give you an opportunity this week to share that with someone, to start the conversation? Let me tell you about the greatest thing. People think, oh, you, you won the lottery or something. I don't know what. With your ears, I'm telling everyone... Everyone I've tried this with, listen. Look, it takes 10 seconds. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Boom. Would you be willing to pray, oh, God? I mean, stop thinking about it. I can't see myself doing it. I'm not bold. I don't have all the answers. Stop it. It's not about you. It's about God working through you. That's how it works. Look, he worked through Barb. You know what I'm saying? He's made us his representative. And, and uh, when you have had an opportunity to share uh, Christ with someone, there's no feeling like it. it. It's euphoria. It's the most, you know, the enemy wants to rob us of a blessing. But God doesn't need us to get the job done. He gave us this privilege of talking to people about him because he knows what a joy it would be when we do that. You know what happens when you share your faith in Christ? Regardless of the other person's response, your convictions are deepened really something. You hear yourself publicly identifying with him, and it deepens your attachment to him. It's a marvelous thing. Folks, uh, the world's a mess. But uh, here's what the world needs. The world needs to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we Christians are the only one who can make that contribution in the world. Did you know that? There's lots of things the world needs. I got all that. Economic things, military things, political things. I got all that. I'm not saying those are unimportant and we shouldn't participate, but the unique contribution we can make is to tell people about Jesus. Folks, don't get distracted about all the other stuff that's happening. We are ambassadors for Christ. So there was a man named S. Lewis Johnson, quite a wonderful Bible professor and theologian and all the rest. He tells the story about a woman he met in Africa who was simply speaking about her salvation. She said, I had heard of the gospel by the hearing of the ear. But one day it went in and sat down in my heart. Isn't that beautiful? This is the inexplicable mystery of the gospel, that God would take it, and when communicated by ordinary people like us to another ordinary sinner, God can use that. It is the power of God to save that person. It's such an ordinary process with regard to such an extraordinary possibility that someone's eternity be, could be secured by our mere words, sharing with someone our mouth to their ear, and then God does the rest. I had heard this lady say of the gospel by the hearing of the ear. Somebody told her about Jesus. 
But one day, said she, it went in and sat down in my heart. Hmm. Wouldn't you want to be used by God this week? Ask him to do so. And would you pray for me? I want another opportunity, at least one opportunity to this uh, this week, I want to have eyes to see the opportunity. This guy's trying to sell me. You know what it was? It was a, a bug treatment thing. How to get rid of bugs. That's what he was. I mean, that's boring stuff. I, I can tell him about eternity. He's selling, talking about bugs. For crying out loud. You see what I mean? What people are willing to stake their lives and reputation. He's unashamedly going through the neighborhood, knocking on doors, cold calling to talk to people about getting rid of bugs. Come on. We're entrusted with the gospel. So would you pray that God would give me that opportunity? Would you pray that he'd give you that opportunity? And think about it. Listen, the same thing could, could have. Someone could say, I had heard of the gospel by the hearing of the ear. But one day it went in and sat down in my heart. To this day, I thank God for the person who told me about the Lord Jesus. September 5th, 1973. A few weeks before that, he told me about Jesus. I heard it with my ear. It didn't find room in my heart until a few weeks thereafter. And I don't know how. Inexplicably, I cannot explain it. On this particular day in the military barracks, the gospel, which I had previously heard, went in and sat down in my heart. It was just one ordinary fellow soldier. <laughs> Sharing with me about the Lord Jesus Christ. And God used it. It's the power of God for salvation. I had heard of the gospel by the hearing of the ear, but one day it went in and sat down in my heart. That happened to me. That happened to Barb. That happened to this wonderful German man who's now a pastor. Could I close with this question? Has that happened to you? Having heard the gospel. Good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, his willingness to forgive all your sins. Has it sat down in your heart? If not, why not this evening? Lord Jesus, that's what we pray. That's the most crucial issue facing us. Where do we stand with you? What will happen to us when we pass from this life to whatever the next holds for us. Will it be bliss? Will it be torment? This is the big question. When we stand before you to give account, who's going to defend me with regard to all the unholinesses I have manifested? I'm a lawbreaker. I've broken God's legitimate holy law. Who's going to defend me? Oh, God, these are the big questions. We're facing an election year. That's a very big thing, but not nearly as important as eternity. Oh, God in heaven, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I don't know how all this works, but I do know this much. We are to pray. We pray in the power of your Holy Spirit. You might find your way into the hearts of the ones tonight who have not yet accepted you. Would you produce in them a, an awareness of sin, a falling short of your glory? Sin, anything contrary to your nature, you are holy. Any unholiness is sin. Would you please convict that one that, or more of sin and of judgment to follow? And then finally, of the way to be in right standing with you. 
Oh God in heaven, it is through you, Lord Jesus, who fulfilled the law for us, who suffered and died that we might go free, who provided for us the only means of forgiveness, and that is through confidence in your shed blood. Lord Jesus, would you rescue and redeem the ones who stand in need of it tonight? This would make our attendance tonight worthwhile. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.